Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. As the kids return to their seats, I invite you to turn with me back to 2 Corinthians, where we've been uh, reading and studying for a while and, and hearing some absolutely incredible things and being reminded of the gospel in uh, some incredible ways as Paul says things that, that if he didn't say them first, uh, as as uh, Dan Price said, then we would get in trouble for saying them second. Uh, but he did say them first, and it reminds us that the gospel is our life. So we're looking this morning, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 5, verse 10. So let's give our attention once again to the reading of God's holy and inspired and authoritative word. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show us that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Most gracious Father, as we look at your word, I ask that you would strengthen me by your spirit to proclaim your truth. Illumine all of our hearts and minds that we may understand. Indeed, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, my guess is 
that we just read through this passage, and you're like, oh yeah, the jars of clay passage, okay, yeah, and then, oh, there's some tent stuff, I bet that has to do with the tabernacle, and then we got to the last verse, and you were like, whoa, 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 and you forgot all the other things, and you were like, what is this about appearing before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All of a sudden, we've been talking about all this great gospel stuff, all this great Jesus stuff, all this great he died in our place stuff, and now, Paul, what in the world? Why all of a sudden have you thrown this right in there? Because when we look at what comes next week, it goes right back to all this great gospel stuff. All this talk about being reconciled to God, about being made the righteousness of God because he made him who knew no sin to be sin in our place. What in the world, Paul, with verse 10? What is going on here? And that's a great question. And here's, here's why I'm starting here at the end of our passage this morning. Because there's a, there's a lesson here for us that I want us to see in how we read the Bible so, so that we know what to do with stuff like this. Because when we, when we come to this verse, if, if, we don't, if we don't deal with this verse well, and that is in the context of what Paul is saying, then, then we end up inev inevitably turning it into some kind, one way or another, of weird legalism that leads us into despair. Here, here's, here's how it happens. So we, we may just take this verse out and be like, oh, that's a good memory verse to remind me to, to stay on the straight and narrow. And so we remember, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And we just deal with that verse by itself apart from any of the context that we're given, and guess where we end up every time? Works-based salvation. Because all we're hearing is, oh, well, you're going to be judged, and it's going to be based on whether you did good or evil, so man, you better get after it. And, and where does that leave us? And, unless we're just completely lying to ourselves, or, or the most arrogant person in the world, it leaves us in complete despair. Because... Before this sermon is over, you're going to sin in thought and maybe word and, and maybe deed even. So what do we do? Well, sometimes we may go, okay, well, well, let's kind of broaden it and let's say, okay, well, Paul talked about justification by faith, but then he also said this. And if we just leave it there, we still end up with this weird idea that, okay, so maybe what's going on here is we get in by faith in Christ, but then we stay in, we keep ourselves secure in Jesus by doing good stuff. In by faith, stay in by works. Well, there's a problem with that. The problem with that is, one, none of us would stay in. The other problem with that is the entire book of Galatians. Who has bewitched you, oh Galatians? Oh foolish Galatians. What you begun in the spirit, are you now going to continue in the flesh? May it never be. So, so that can't be what Paul is saying, even though there's plenty of commentators that go that direction. That, that can't be what Paul is saying unless we're willing to say, well, no, he's just wildly contradictory. Which that creates all kinds of other problems. So what do we do with this verse? Another thing that sometimes we try to do to kind of weasel out from it is say, okay, no, no, you're in by grace, you stay in by grace, but if you do really well as a Christian, you get a bigger mansion in heaven. 
Sounds fun. I'll be on the outskirts. Also, that's nowhere in the Bible. So it can't be that either. This isn't about getting a bigger mansion or living on Main Street instead of like, you know, 126th Street or, or what. No, that's not what this is about. What is going on? Well, what we have to do is put this passage back in its context to see that what Paul is saying is not any of those things at all. So what, what is the context? What's going on here that leads him to verse 10? Well, remember that this verse comes in a section in which Paul is defending his and his partners in ministry. He's, he's defending their ministry against the super apostles and, and, and what they were doing and what they were saying. So we, we follow his argument that brought him up to this point. That informs how we read this passage. And then we follow his argument as it flows from this point, And that informs how we read this passage. So what got us here? Well, remember, as we talked about last week, Paul made this incredible distinction between the old covenant ministry, the, the ministry of law, the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation on the one hand, and the new covenant ministry, the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the gospel, the ministry, he called it, of righteousness. On the other hand, and he said that the law brings death, but Jesus, the new covenant, this ministry of righteousness, that the spirit, he brings life. And he was making this distinction, remember, because he was defending his ministry against the super apostles who loved the law, apparently, and, and loved to, to kind of show up and say, hey, here's how to be good. And here's how to get God to like you. And look how impressive we are. And so he continues, after, after kind of laying out that and, and dealing with all the stuff about the gospel being veiled but because of unbelief and, and the law having a veil over it because if you try to come to the glory of God through the law, you can't because it'll kill you. And, and then he, he turns to himself and, and, and his fellows in ministry and he says, we have this treasure. The treasure, as I told the kids, is the gospel, the finished work of Jesus Christ, the new covenant, the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of grace. The Spirit giving life, that treasure, he says, we have in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying in God's wisdom, you look at me and you see weakness. We've already covered how the Corinthians were unimpressed with him because he didn't speak well and he always was finding himself near death and, and all this. He's, you look at me and you see weakness. You look at them, you see strength. You, you, you hear me speak and it's not that impressive. You hear them and it's just like you stand in awe of their oratorical skills. He's saying, yeah, I'm a jar of clay, weak and, 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 and humbled and, and easily broken so that you will know that the power isn't from me. It's from the one that I proclaim. He, he's saying what y'all look at as weakness is actually should be bearing witness to you of the strength of what I proclaim. Colin Cruz puts it this way. Those who bear the glorious light of the gospel are compared to jars of clay, inexpensive and easily broken. And this serves to show that the power released through the preaching of the gospel is from God and not from us. My flesh, my pride doesn't like that at all. But that's Paul's very point. 
That, that, that anything, any power that comes through the ministry of the Word from me has nothing to do with me. I'm, I'm a jar of clay, inexpensive and easily broken. And then Paul goes through this list. We are afflicted in every way, crushed, uh, but not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed, always carrying in the body of death, uh, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be men. He, he just goes through this and says, look, the whole point of all of this, the whole point of the death that we carry in this body, the whole point of all of this affliction is so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul's saying that, that through these deaths, the persecution, the, the, the per, being perplexed, the affliction, through these deaths, life has come. It's come in two ways, as we will see later in 2 Corinthians 12. It's taught Paul to rely on Christ and not become conceited. He looks at his life, just like the Corinthians are, and he's going, there's nothing in me that's in prison. There's nothing in me that I can rely on. There's no grand strength in me. My only option is to rely on Jesus. My only option is to lean wholly on him. That's not true just for the apostle. Maybe, maybe with me, you feel that this morning. That the only thing that is sure, the only thing I can lean on, it's Jesus Christ. The, the other way that this, these deaths bring life is that, that for Paul, it was in the course of ministry that these afflictions that he lists, it's in the course of ministry that they came. It was because he was preaching the gospel that he was beaten. It was because he was so clear about justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that, that he was left for dead and, and run out of town. It, it, was, it was because he was sailing out to, to take the gospel further and further that he found himself shipwrecked on, on, on I. It was because of ministry that these deaths came. But, as he says... It was also because of ministry that life came to you. And so Paul is saying, yeah, look, you're right. We're jars of clay. We're, we're inexpensive and easily broken. But you know what? The treasure that we bring to you is invaluable and gives life. See, he's contrasting himself and his ministry with that of the super apostles who showed up so impressive and, 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 and just, you know, these, these well-oiled machines of ministry. And Paul's going, yeah, you think that they come with power, but they don't because they can't. They also can only come with the gospel. Then in verses 13 through 15, he, he, he says, despite being faced with death, we speak anyway because the spirit of life will raise us with Jesus. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. They're pointing back to that, that psalm of despair and hope that we read earlier, Psalm 116. We also believe and so we also speak. Because we have the spirit that, that gave life, that raised Jesus from the dead, even though we face death, we're going to keep believing and we're going to keep speaking. Because, because that's what this spirit does. In other words, it's, it's like what he said back in 2 Corinthians 1.10. 
that, that he will deliver us again from such deadly peril. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us abandoned. For it is all for your sake, he says in verse 15, so that his grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. There's, there's that idea again that, that, that it's through these deaths that life is coming to more and more people. Then verses 16 through, through the end of the section that we're looking at this morning, he begins to, to kind of talk about why they don't lose heart and, and, and he begins to put everything in, in kind of all of these metaphors that seem to be pointing in, in several different directions back to the Old Testament. We, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So, so just because I'm, I'm perplexed, just because I'm afflicted, just because all of those things, I'm not going to lose heart. Even though the, 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 the outer self is dying, the inner self is being renewed. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. So Paul's saying, look, I, I get it. What I'm facing right now, what I bring to the table, isn't, just doesn't seem that impressive if you're looking at me. But it's because we're not living for this life. We're not trying to take hold of, of some glory that we can get here. We're being prepared for something better. And, and Paul's thinking here of these eschatological terms, these terms of the glory to come. He's saying that's our hope. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're, we're working towards. That's what we're running towards in Christ. Not that, that we might live well here and, and everything be comfortable and us be impressive, but that we might take hold of the glory that is to come. And so listen to how, again, I've already read it once, but listen to how he describes his life. This light, momentary affliction. Afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. We know Paul was beaten. We know he was left for dead. We know he was run out of town. We know he was betrayed by people that he thought he could trust. We know he was shipwrecked. We know he was imprisoned. And he's saying, yeah, this light momentary affliction. A light momentary affliction, in my mind, is a splinter. That's a light momentary affliction. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I cannot worry about that because of the glory of heaven. Paul's saying, I I'm constantly on the verge of losing everything in this life. And I cannot worry about that because of the glory of heaven. That's what he's driving at here. That's what he wants us to understand. Uh, as we look things that are seen, or not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's got this eternal perspective on this life where he's able to look at everything in his life and recognize it for what it is and deal with it and, and respond to it according to what it is. If, if it's something that's seen, if it's something in this life, it's transient. It's, it's passing away. It's not worth giving your life for because it's necessarily fading. It's necessarily passing away. But the glory that Christ has secured for us, that which is unseen yet, that is eternal. 
Now, we've already heard this, this transient, passing away, eternal distinction last week when he talked about the law. He, he, he's saying here again, look, no, we're not going to give ourselves to that. We're not going to give ourselves to that ministry of death whose glory is passing. We're going to give ourselves to the ministry of the gospel whose glory is eternal. See, as long as we're, we're relying on the things that are seen and, and we have our checklist, we're like, oh, I did this, I did this, I did this, great. Then we're, then we're giving ourselves to something that is necessarily fading, something that is transient, something that is passing away. And Paul's saying that's not what we do. We give ourselves to Jesus because we're being prepared even through this affliction for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then he begins unpacking that. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. And, and all of a sudden he's starting to, to, it seems like, draw on kind of the images of, of David wanting to build a house for God. And God comes to him and says, no, 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 I've never asked for you to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And, and he kind of flips the script on David. David is wanting God to live in glory. And, and he was wanting to have this big glorious thing. And God's saying, no, that's not what this is about. I've not asked for that. I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to give you a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And then Paul begins to, to kind of turn that analogy around, this tabernacle analogy, and, and apply it to himself. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. In, in other words, he's saying, look, it, it's God that's the one that's going to dress us. He's the one that's going to clothe us in righteousness. He's the one that's going to clothe, clothe us in eternity. He's the one that, that's going to clothe us in, in forgiveness and security and hope. And all of a sudden, I, I, at least I begin to wonder, and I know sometimes my imagination with, with biblical connections may run a little bit wild for some people, but, but I wonder, is he thinking here of the garden where, where they're naked and they sin and then they realize they're naked? And what do they do? They try to make clothes for themselves. And God comes along and says, no, 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 let me make you something better. Let me clothe you. Let me be the one who covers you and who covers your nakedness and who covers your sin. For while, while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. And, and so here, Paul's driving at this point that, that God has already filled us with his spirit as a guarantee. He, in, in other words, he won't take that back. If he's given his spirit to, to those who are united to Christ, which he has, then that's a guarantee. He, he's not going to renege on the deal. He, he's not going to take that back and say, oh, wait, never mind. I changed my mind. He's put the earnest money down and, 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 and he's not going to ask for it back. It's done. You're his. You're kept. And notice, notice who's at work in all of this in verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. God's the one that's at work. God's the one that's doing this. Not Paul. Not any of the other apostles. Not anyone but God himself. So, he says, we are always of good courage 
We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. He recognized that, yes, there is a tension in this life. When we are alive in this life, at home in the body, living in this world, we are away from the Lord. Not separated from Him, but but Christ is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, reigning in glory. And we have His Spirit dwelling in us, but we're not yet what we will be. We're not there. This isn't glory yet. And I probably don't have to tell you that. You're well aware that it's not. But Paul understands that we're always, and this is how the super apostles were living, we're always sorely tempted to try to take hold of glory in this life or to try to make this life into glory. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. That's not what we're to do. We're of good courage in this life while we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, we've got our eyes set on something beyond what we can see, something that is eternal, not transient. And so here, Paul is, is leaning hard into this kind of eschatological view of his life, framing his life in this world in light of the glory to come, in light of what, what it is that Christ has secured for us that we get a foretaste of now through the Spirit, but, but we, we just can't, no matter how hard we try, and we do try, we just can't take hold of it yet. That's the whole point of living by faith and not by sight. When we look around and, and we see all this stuff and we decide here's how we want life to work and here's what we're going to do, and, 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 and we begin to, to, to lose sight of the glory to come. And, and, and we start, rather than, than living this, this kind of cruciform, cross-centered life that, that, that allows us to see afflictions like what Paul lists as light momentary afflictions, we, we start feeling our world being crushed and torn apart. And it feels like our soul itself is going to be undone because of it. That's what happens when we begin living by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, Paul says, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We, this is Philippians. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I would much rather be there, but for your sake, I'll continue here. That, that's, that's what Paul, he, he's looking at this life and he's not saying, man, this life is so great, I never want it to end. It's just, it's so rich and, and, and peaceful and, and exciting and fun and, and full of rest. He's like, no, 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 no. We would rather be at home with the Lord. We would rather be there. This life is full of affliction. It's full of heartache. It's full of pain. And not just for for the we, the the apostolic we here, not not just for, for ministers, for all of us, isn't it? And Paul's saying, man, we would rather be away from the body, away from this tent, that's breaking down and falling apart and starting to leak and at home with the Lord in the home, in the building that God has prepared for us. We would rather be there. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Now, before we make it back to verse 10, I'm going to stop right there. Paul's not here saying that, that, oh, so we have to earn that. We have to earn glory. Whether we're there or here, we've got to please him so that if he's pleased with us, 
will get in. No, no, no. Remember, he's already drawn on Psalm 116. So let's go back to Psalm 116 real quick and, and remember what he said. I believe even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? The, the, the idea here isn't so that I may get benefits from him. The idea is I, I've already called out in desperation and he's responded in mercy. I've already called out from a hopeless place and he's given me hope. I've already called out as a sinner and he's redeemed me. In light of those benefits that he's given me, what shall I render to the Lord? See, he's not talking here, when when he's talking about pleasing God, he's not talking about pleasing him so that he can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He's talking about being one who has heard that because God is pleased to show him mercy, because God is pleased to show him grace. And in light of that, what shall I render to the Lord? I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. And in other words, I'll acknowledge that everything I have comes from him. That everything I have comes from him. That's what Paul's saying here in verse 9. Whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, to satisfy him, to live in the light of of his redemption of us. To live as if things actually are the way they are, as if Jesus is life, and apart from him, I can do nothing because the flesh is no help at all. I make it mine to live that way, Paul says. That's his goal. Not to secure glory for himself, Not to get the law all perfectly right. Not to to, to be whatever it is that we come up with. No, his goal is just, I want to please Jesus because he's pleased with me. That's the idea here. That's what Paul's driving at. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So here, what I think Paul is doing is he's bringing the people, the super apostles and the second Corinthians, or the second Corinthians, the Corinthians that he's writing this second Corinthians letter to, he's bringing them to this place of realizing, no, there will be a judgment. He's not denying that there's a judgment. We will, in fact, all stand before Christ as the judge. The question is, and this is where we're going to go next week. I'm just going to give us a four days. The question is, on what grounds will we stand? If we think that we're standing on our own, if if we think that, that we're something other than a jar of clay, if we think we're a treasure chest that's as impressive as the treasure itself, maybe more so, we're going to be in for a rude awakening. Because we're going to have to give account for everything. If we think that we can stand on the law, we're going to be in for a rude awakening. Because Paul has already told us it's it's not a ministry of life, it's a ministry of death. It's not actually a ministry of righteousness, it's a ministry of condemnation. Remember, that's the contrast he's making. And And so what I think he's doing here is he's bringing all of these people together to this point of going, hey, there really is going to be a real life judgment. And Christ is going to want, be the one doing the judging. And how are you going to stand? How are you going to stand? Now, I'm going to 
tip my hand a little bit to, to, to look at next week at the first verse and the last verse of what we're going to look at next week. Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. In, in, others. in other words, therefore, knowing what's coming, knowing that a real judgment is coming, we're trying to persuade you of something that really matters. Because a real judgment is coming. You will have to give account. And so I need you to listen to me, Paul says. And then he goes through and he ends this section this way. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, that's the answer to the judgment. That's why we have to read this verse in its context because Paul is doing something, defending his ministry of the gospel, defending his ministry of, of, of the ministry of righteousness, defending his ministry of the ministry of life. He's not announcing all of this good news and then going, being, oh, by the way, I said all that, but really verse 10 is what matters. You better get it right or you're going to get smoked. No, 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 no. He's saying the reason this matters, the reason there has to be a gospel, the reason this ministry that we have has to be a ministry of reconciling people to God is because there is a real judgment coming. Therefore, I'm trying to persuade everyone I can to rest in Jesus Christ because he is our only hope. See, the gospel doesn't deny the justice of God. The gospel doesn't deny the exalted holiness of God. The gospel doesn't deny the exacting demands of the law of God. It doesn't deny any of that. It holds all of that up. It says, yeah, yeah, no, all that's true. All that's true. But Jesus bore that for you. And that's what Paul is wanting the, the, the people of Corinth to see is the difference between his ministry and the super apostles' ministry. They're leading them to a place of standing before Christ in judgment to be judged on what they did, good or evil. Did they keep the law in the flesh? And they won't have. Paul's leading them to the judgment to be judged on whether they'll be counted righteous in Jesus. And all who look to him in faith will be. No questions asked. So this, this, this is what Paul's doing. He's not, he's not reversing on a gospel of grace. He, he's not adding, get in by grace, stay in by works. He, he, he's not saying, hey, go get a better mansion. No, no, no. He's reminding us there is a real judgment. There is a real judgment coming. But Jesus has satisfied that. He has satisfied that. And he took your sin. He took all the evil deeds that you did in the flesh on himself so that you might become the righteousness of of God. Remember, the gospel is a ministry of righteousness. So when we stand in Christ before Christ, we're judged on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. But when we stand in our flesh before Christ, we're judged on the basis of our performance. 
we must be reconciled to God through Jesus. It's our only hope. But it is a sure and certain hope, guaranteed for us, even now, by the Spirit who dwells in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the hope of the gospel. We thank you, Father, that, that, that Paul doesn't shy away from the realities of things like judgment, but drives us to rest in Jesus as the answer. Admittedly, Father, when we hear that there will be a judgment, our, our flesh is prone to freak out and fear and, and do all kinds of things. All kinds of things other than rest in Christ. But he's told us to put our flesh to death, to take up our cross and just follow him. Admittedly, Father, our flesh is, is wondering so often whether he's enough. But your gospel reminds us that he is. Teach us to rest in him. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.